Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing on Sunday evening. Hope everybody had a good holiday. Uh, joining us uh, from Austin, Texas, is the tog- the NBA's cartographer of the year. This year <laughs> and every year, Kirk Goldsberry. Hey, thank you, Brian. And uh, I made a big map of the NBA this year. You can see it on my Twitter feed, but I appreciate it. Very you rarely- can also buy it. You can buy it at uh, thegoldenhexagon.com, but I'm not here to promote that. Well, uh, I but I appreciate it. I will <laughs> say, though, I have to say that one of the challenges, especially in this day and age, uh, for your NBA fans is to get a unique gift. Of course, Christmas already passed, but that is a unique that is a unique item. The um, Naismith International Park map is available now for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about. Just go to my social media feeds and you'll, yeah, you'll get a taste. But I appreciate it, Brian. In, in, in true Goldsberry fashion, posted just too late to get anybody for a gift for the holiday season. But I, <laughs> I, I appreciate it nonetheless, dude. And joining us from Chicago is our colleague from 538, Chris Herring. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm good, guys. I appreciate you having me on. How's everybody doing? So the NBA, uh, we're, I'm, I'm good. The, so the NBA season's not quite a week old, and um, you know we're in very dangerous um, uh, small sample uh, time. But I do think that there's been some stuff that has uh, has kind of stood out, and uh, there's games going on right now. Um, so we're not going to talk about them. And um, getting back more into our pod flow, where we don't talk about. Uh, individual games because uh, now they're coming fast and furious um, because, <laughs> you know, during the bubble, we were going, we were, you know, going very late at night. Um, but, uh, you know, there's been some interesting things that have, have popped up just in this, in this first, you know, seven or eight days. Um, and I got to say that uh, one of the things that I've been talking about and, I think it just rings true is that no matter what you think about James Harden and there's a lot to think about him, no matter what you think about his behavior and there's a lot to think about that. The guy is still a super elite player, even though he's not in condition. And uh, it's a reminder of why the Rockets asking prices so high and why they're going to weigh people out and why there's going to be demand for him. Kirk, he has a 44-point game on Saturday night in overtime in Portland. And um, if I'm the Rockets, uh, I'm not budging off my asking price because I think I think as time unfolds and as this season, I, I really do think we're going to see a bunching up of teams in this uh, in this standings. I think the middle the NBA's middle class is bloated. Um I just think that the desire for a guy like that is only going to increase regardless of the way he's behaved. Regardless of the way he's behaved, he's still the best offensive player in the NBA. And I'll add the term arguably, but that's my belief. This guy is the best offensive player in the NBA. He's on a, let's say, how do you say it nicely? A short amount of rest (laughs) coming off of a quarantine situation, um, coming off a very contentious series of interactions with his organization. He goes to Portland. Now, they lose, but the way they lost is somehow impressive. Nobody in in, in the world expected this Houston Rockets starting lineup to look like it did for their first game of the year against the Portland Blazers. And the dude puts up 44, and I think he assisted on another 40-some points. Um, He is a savant. He is the most dangerous offensive player in the game. 
Um, and anybody who, who, who adds them to their team, Brian, to your point, immediately becomes a better offense, immediately becomes one of the best offenses in the NBA. That's why the asking price is so high. You add on the fact that his contract has two, three more years left on it. Uh, this is not something that they're going to just dump. This is not a typical trade demand. There's a lot of years left, and it looks like if what we saw in Portland is true, it looks like there's a lot of mileage left on those tires. James Harden is still one of the best, if not the best offensive players in the game right now. Chris, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, that's one of the things that even when, even when he came back in that first preseason game where he was just woefully out of sorts, he still made like four or five plays where you're like, wow. And, um, you know, one of the guys I want to talk about in a minute is Christian Wood. Like the Rockets have him and Christian Wood, and if Christian Wood is going to play like this, he's already looking like a uh, a pretty a pretty interesting steal signing for the Rockets. The Rockets are are still going to win a bunch of games, and um, they're still going to be potent, and it's still going to be it's he's still going to be a guy that is just there's so much scarcity for players like that. There is nobody else like that available, and I think that we're gonna. We're going to see the Rockets are going to end up getting at or what they want for this. Yeah, I mean, honestly, watching them last night, my thought was, man, like, you know, of the the Rockets teams we've seen the last few years, we had a couple of years there with Chris Paul. We had the year with Westbrook. So we've watched Harden alongside these, these really talented guards. And it's kind of been a while since we've seen him with a big man that, you know, particularly one that has the skill set that Christian Wood does. Um, so first of all, the idea that, um, you know, for all the turmoil kind of swirling around this team and because of James Harden and because of his situation, um, <laughs> Harden alone gets you obviously playoff contention, how far they could get in the playoffs, whatever. But I think we still see that, number one. But number two, I mean, Harden, to, to what Kirk was saying, um, I think maybe in a year like this, he's even more valuable just because it's a, it's a short season. You've got teams that, you know, no real training camp, no real preseason to speak of. And I've had the same thought watching the Nets is that teams that are kind of more ISO oriented where your offense goes really through one guy. Um, there's probably not as much crazy variability from night to night, whereas these other teams that have to take time to gel a whole lot. Because that you know they're they're kind of more team oriented. Um, I could actually imagine Harden being an even bigger shot in the arm for whoever gets him in a year like this. Obviously, the the top flight teams, if he's going to a team like Brooklyn, you need to figure out a way to really incorporate him and make sure that he fits with everybody. And maybe that's difficult, but that should maybe even make Houston's you know asking price higher, which is hard to imagine having said that a week ago, just given kind of the the craziness that we've seen with the soap opera in Houston. Yeah. Um, you know, Christian Wood is interesting. What happened with him was, you know, he obviously bounced around. He came out of UNLV. Um, Kirk, were you working with the Spurs front office at that time? Do you remember the book on him? He he had some he had some uh, red flags on yeah. him. The book is definitely red flags. It's full of red flags that don't involve the basketball court, Brian. Uh, Christian Wood's uh, book has always involved intel flags, and it still does. Uh, and I think if you ask the Pistons why they decided to, to pass on him uh, this, this time around, they would come back to that. But you're right. On the court, 
this guy looks like at sometimes an all-star, and that's not an exaggeration. At his best, he looks like an NBA all-star. And if the Rockets can get him in a straight lane, look out. He's the perfect sort of big, a, a rim-running big to pair with, with Harden. So that's a big if. These are real flags. Uh, but a lot of guys have had flags like that and straightened it out in their 20s. And, and you know, I'll allow the guy a chance. To your point, at this stage, very early stage, overreaction time, uh, looks like a steal for the Houston Rockets. Yeah, and so, you know, the the uh, Drummond got traded at the trade deadline. After Drummond got traded, he was afforded a lot of opportunity on a bad team. He put up really big numbers. The Pistons went out and um, signed a bunch of big men, none of them him. I'm not even – I wonder if they even offered him because they were – they were pretty aggressive right out of the gate on July 1st. And um, it really took some maneuvering to uh, to get him in a sign-and-trade to, to Houston. Um, three years, $41 million, I think, was the number. And I th- actually thought that that was – they were only able to do that because they um, they rerouted Trevor Ariza um, as uh, part of the Covington deal. And, um, you know, like th- there was a reason why, as you said, Kirk, that Detroit, knowing what they knew about him, uh, decided to pursue other players to go after Jeremy Grant, to go after Mason Plumley, to go after Julia Locafor. They, you know, went and signed a bunch of other bigs away from him, even though they had plenty of space and could have had a lot of options. And um, you know, Houston obviously identified, um, you know, identified him as a um, as an undervalued player. Now, whether it will play out that way, we'll see. But you give. You know, I you know I know that they traded Capella because they were looking to maximize their small ball. But you know, Capella and Harden worked very well together for 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 several years. It's one of the reasons why Capella got that fairly large contract. And Wood, in a vacuum, is more skilled than Capella offensively, um, can do more. And so um, when you watch that combination. Um, it's pretty dynamic. And I, you know, you would figure that he and John Wall, if, if Harden is eventually gone and it becomes John Wall and Christian Wood, it's something for the Rockets to build around. But, you know, I, I remember seeing Wood play in the, um, in the preseason and uh, talking to a, a guy I know who runs uh, big time fantasy leagues, has a bunch of fantasy leagues. Wood was one of the f- top guys selected in fantasy leagues, uh, in keeper leagues where, you know, everybody's, you know, keeping their five or six guys. And, um, that's already looking like, um, it might be, uh, for, you know, for a reason. Um, but that acquisition probably has been one of the more interesting acquisitions, uh, looking early on. And then you, you add, um, the fact that, um, you know, Raphael Stone, their general manager, uh, you know, he executed the Covington trade, uh, which led to Wood. He executed the Wall trade, which got Wall and a first-round pick. And now he's in charge of this Harden thing. He's, you know, he is going to have an opportunity to really form this team pretty quickly. And the, you know, if if Christian Wood is an indication of his read of things, maybe the Rockets' outlook isn't so shaky, Kirk. The, the Rockets' outlook isn't shaky if these guys are able to play basketball together. And that's a big if. James Harden is the ultimate if of this season besides coronavirus. James Harden is the leader, um, but he doesn't need much aside from him to make a huge impact in this league. Uh, 
And last night in Portland was a big demonstration of that effect. Like if you give him anybody, he can he can essentially go out there and compete. And if you give him P.J. Tucker and if you give him Christian Wood and Eric Gordon and John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins, this is a deep playoff run potential team, period. Uh, so, yeah, don't shovel dirt on the Rockets just yet. Yeah, Daryl Morey's gone. Yeah, Mike D'Antoni's gone. And I have more respect for those guys than about anybody. But I also have respect for James Harden. And to your point, Brian, like pretty good offseason haul. John Wall uh, looks pretty good in the preseason. Christian Wood looks really good. Uh, Eric Gordon, if he's healthy, and again, big if, great player. DeMarcus Cousins, big if. So I'll, my, 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 my main point before I turn it back to you, Brian, if everybody's able to stay upright, and again, that's a big if, this is a really good team, and don't go to sleep on these guys just yet. Yeah, it's just it's really impossible to pr- to predict them because uh, you just don't know who's going to be there. Um, but um, <laughs> I saw Harden went with the uh, uh, Marshawn Lynch. Uh, I'm just here so I don't get fined stuff. Uh, uh, talking about his most recent situation with, uh, he just said, uh, "I'm just I'm just happy to be in my 12th season. Looking forward to the opportunity." He's he's pretty much shutting down. He's not saying anything. And in all honesty, I guess I don't blame him. But um, Chris, I think this is probably going to draw out. I, I really do. I I I just think that the, what's going to be required to trade for him. There's not a lot of teams that right now are willing to do it. And they're going to have to wait and see. You're going to have to wait for this uh, this first you know part of the season to play out and realize where they are. And that includes Philly, who's off. Oh, they're getting beaten Cleveland tonight, but um, you know Philly has to be pretty happy with where they are. And that's the team that is still the odds-on favorite to make this move. I feel. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it probably doesn't say a whole lot about how you felt like your off-season went if you're looking to trade for them already. Um, you know, if you're Philly, even, you know, the idea that, um, you know, we've already heard a little bit about Philly's involvement and just their kind of interest in it. Um, and obviously, you know, Daryl Morey is, uh, you know, is, didn't he have a tweet the other day kind of talking about how great Harden was? I, I can't remember what it was, but yeah, we talked about uh, it on the podcast. It was a very strange decision. Uh, right. Right. So, I mean, you know, the interest is there, um, but you have a, you know, I guess at least to kind of like a used car, a new used car for Daryl Morey, where he's in Philly. He's got a new coach there that obviously he, he feels strongly about. Um, and Ben Simmons is, is obviously very young. And so if you're going to do that, if it requires a big piece, which I'm sure it would because it's James Harden, um, you probably at least want to see where you go with things, you know, on your own before you make a decision like that. And like you said, uh, kind of in the middle of a game right now with Philly, in Cleveland, but Embiid's not playing, and so they're losing a game with Embiid not out there. So it's not—I don't even know how much you can make of the really, really early stuff. Uh, it's still yeah, hard. I just, to know I just think you have to—I just think you have to wait. If you're going to make that kind of a deal, you have to wait. Right. Um, and the only way I think that that Philly would make a deal soon would be if the Rockets dramatically changed their ask. And um, I don't see the Rockets doing that because I don't see why they would change their ask because the way you know Harden has come out, you know looking like this so um you know i think the the challenge but for for philly and um you know and houston in a deal and and tim mcmahon has talked about this is that uh in a trade like that there's it's almost certainly not going to be negotiated as straight up 
So, so the the ancillary negotiations become the the sticking point. So it's not going to be Simmons for Harden because in that case, Philly thinks that that you know probably thinks that that's fair, but Houston wants more. Um, and if you know, it's also possible that um, you know that they would potentially want more from Houston uh, if they added more to it. So maybe a guy like PJ Tucker, a guy like that would be involved and now you got to do that. And, you know, it's, it's just not something I think that will take short term. And I think that this first week with Philly coming off to a decent start and, and Harden playing this only, if I have one takeaway, it's that I think that the negotiations are going to go even longer. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. I want to talk about another former MVP that's off to an illustrative start to this season, and that's Steph Curry. Mm. Um, the Warriors, they're playing in Chicago tonight. We'll see. You know, Right now it's a neck-and-neck -neck game. Uh, you know, Chicago's gotten off to a horrible start. Um, but this is shaping up to be a very difficult, complex year. For Steph Curry, um, I think that one of the things you know, because there's a there's a layer of people out there who don't who just don't like Steph, and uh, I I've never completely understood that because he you know while he does do a little dancing and stuff like that, I understand that that can get under people's skin. Generally, watching him, he enjoys the game so much. Not only that, we've been deprived you know we just he just hasn't played much in the last year and so having him come back i think is a boon for the league but as you hear people i hear people say well now we'll see what steph can really do when he doesn't have all these guys around him that can that can dribble pass and move without the ball and set him up and guys he has struggled you know he looked good in the preseason but he has really struggled coming out of the gate he shot the three-pointer very poorly in the actual games. There was that video that came out over the weekend uh, from a Warriors practice on this road trip where he made 105 <laughs> consecutive corner threes, which that was a display like I've never seen before. Um, but he's struggling in the games. He's struggling getting his shot off. He's struggling getting open. The, uh, you know, Oubre and uh, Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins are not getting him uh, into the looks that they that he's been used to his whole career, they don't have that read and react system. Um, he's not gallivanting around the court, you know, 
just getting his amazing looks like he used to. He's really, really having to work. And, you know, I'm sure he'll make the adjustment. I'm sure they're going to have to go to more traditional pick-and-roll basketball with him, uh, Chris. But um, one thing that's become very clear is that this season's going to be a struggle for the Warriors. And um, I'm, I don't get into the uh, gambling game at all. Um, but when I saw that the Vegas line for the over-under for Warriors wins this year was 37 and a half. Now, keep in mind in a 72-game season, so 36 wins is 500. That's, that Vegas thought that the over-under line was over 500. I thought that was inflated. And we, while we are early here, I I think that was the easiest call on the board to be under on that. And um, wow. uh, I think it's going to be a struggle for Steph. And I think that there are going to be people who begin taking pot shots at him, especially people who were out there saying, well, this is how the other half lives, or not even the other half. The, the majority of the, the rest of the league lives, you know, these guards who have to do so much um, that don't have those kind of, wingman that he benefited from that doesn't take away from those MVP seasons, but it's a complete, he has probably never had to play like this in the NBA. It's back to like Davidson level stuff. And I just think that that's going to be a huge adjustment for him. Yeah. I, I think, uh, honestly, to what you're saying, look back to last year and I, I, I know you guys can remember it. I think we all talked about it at the time. The first couple games they had of last year, even when Draymond was healthy, um, that those games were a real struggle for them. That it, what did they start one and two or one and three before Steph broke the finger? And obviously at that point, all bets were off as far as what they could do. Um, and that was without Clay. That was after Durant had left, obviously. But that was with Draymond, and Draymond hasn't been part of the mix yet. Um, so really, what you're looking at at this point is Steph Curry, who everybody would love to have a Steph on their team. But then you've got a bunch of guys who don't space the floor all that well, for the most part. You don't really have elite defenders there because Draymond hasn't been there yet. Um, and the, the, the thing I keep thinking about, maybe a dumb analogy, I remember when I moved from New York to Chicago and was looking at apartments. And um, <laughs> the real estate person, the, the leasing agent, she just laughed when I told her that I was moving from New York. And I said, why are you laughing? And she said, I always close the deal with people who are moving from New York because they're just shocked at how much space there is in the apartment compared to where they're moving from. And this feels like the reverse of that, where Steph just has so little space. Guys can recover when they leave Steph to go guard whoever it is that they're getting to that he's passing the ball to because they're not threats to shoot. And so if they're not finishing at the rim, and Wiggins has looked really awful trying to finish over guys. I think the game before the Chicago game, I think he um, – was something, you know, 18 shots and 12 points. You have to finish these shots to make it worthwhile so that guys are afraid to leave you to come guard Steph. But there's just not that fear right now. And I don't really know how to, you know, Steph doesn't impact the game the way other guys can. Even Harden, you know, with his defense being what it is sometimes, he still can impact the game defensively here and there with steals, with post-up defense. And Steph just really isn't that presence. Um, he's certainly not the two-way presence that the other superstars in the league are. And so if he's not able to get space and to really hit guys that can finish after he passes the ball to him, it's going to be a real struggle for them, depending on what Draymond brings when he's back in the lineup. Yeah, Kirk, I think there was this expectation that Steph was like, okay, now, Steph, you've got the keys. Let's see. I mean, this was going to be the case last year, and it didn't happen. And it was like, okay, well, now 
Now, Steph, you lead a team, and I, I just don't know if – I mean, I think he's going to put up numbers, but I just don't know if they're equipped. And I just – I've said I just don't like their roster, period. And, um, I, you know, watching them play now, it's just not set up for Steph to be successful. They're not good. I'll go out. They're not going to make the playoffs unless something drastic happens that I haven't seen. And, uh, you know, that could happen. I'm not going to rule it out. But, Brian, Steph Curry is one of the definitive players of the last 10 or so years of NBA basketball, period. The guy is a revelation. He changed the sport. He can't do it by himself. I think one of the things I've learned watching the first two or three games of the Warriors this season is, man, the ball used to find Clay Thompson or Andre Iguodala or, or Sean Livingston or, yeah, Draymond Green, who's going to come back. But it used to find a playmaker almost every time. And you, you, you brought up the read and react sort of brand of basketball, the ball movement. But wherever that ball landed, there was a problem for the defense. The last couple games, the ball's finding Wiseman, and he's a baby. Uh, he's a rookie. He doesn't know what's going on. It's finding Wiggins, who isn't making the plays. It's finding Kelly Oubre, uh, who, with all due respect, isn't Clay Thompson or Andre Iguodala. Uh, and then to Chris's point, not only are these guys not effective spacers, they've lost that entire defensive identity that made this team champions. I think uh, defense does not make headlines on our network. Uh, but it does win championships. And, and and people forget that the Warriors, yeah, the threes will always go down in history as they should. But this team was eight dominant defense at its best. And right now they're a terrible defense, uh, period. And, and, and unless something changes, I don't think Draymond's going to be able to change it from terrible to great. He might get us to average or something like that. But this team is not a playoff team as presently constructed. And, and, and no fault of Steph, he's just not, like Chris said, he's not a hardened guy. He can't go out there and isolate and win games by himself. Um, and, and yeah, in a, in a Western Conference that's as unforgiving as ever, there's a lot of blemishes here, and I just don't see this team getting into the playoffs. Yeah, so that is – our. I mean, already Steve Kerr has boosted James Wiseman's minutes. He um... – has shot, you know, it, you know, Wiseman was a bit of a mystery because we just hadn't seen him. I, I like had barely, I'd never seen him play. I'm not like uh, Mike Schmitz and Jonathan Gavoni who are out there <laughs> watching these guys when they're 16. I just didn't know his game. And I mean, I'd read about it. I'd, I'd talked to people about it. Um, you know, he, he is the one thing they've got going for him uh, as an upside. Because uh, he has shown the ability to shoot from the outside, um, he um, you know he he's got good fundamentals. Uh, he he's always in shooting position. He's shown a nice pick and pop. Um, there's been times where you know, he's gotten a low pass and he's caught it and, and rose up and shot. Uh, and then he's got tremendous length. Although I think defensively he's a little bit lost. Um, you know he is uh, he is exciting, but he is not in position to impact games at all right now. I mean, I'm not saying that down the line there won't be a game where he makes a key basket or two, but he is so raw. Um, and just from, you know, you know, you can just see him out there. He's a little bit lost at times. Um, you know, that's, you know, he's definitely a, a guy to get excited about, but he is not going to help the Warriors in the short term here. Um, and, you know, that is another thing is, you know, they're going to, 
Steve Kerr might have to take this season and figure out how to begin finding ways to have Wiseman work with Curry. And that might be a, a, um, some growing pains. Um, uh, Chris, what have you seen from Wiseman and maybe some of the other rookies that you've seen just in this first week here that have uh, piqued your interest at all? Well, there was that play. Um, I don't think I was watching the game at the time when it happened, uh, but Wiseman just literally snatched a shot out of the air defensively. And it was just kind of like, what the hell was that? It was just um, his, he, like you said, he's got moments that you just kind of crystallize those moments. You say, okay, I get why he was a top of the draft sort of guy. <laughs> I, I remember watching, you know, just videos of him before the season started of how long it took him to wind up his shot. You know, it's a little bit of a slow jumper that he takes, um, but you can see the makings of something, that, you know, that looks good. And uh, that I think if this were a, the loaded warriors that we're used to, if Draymond's out there with Steph, if Clay's out there and he's healthy, you know, we, we've watched the Warriors work in young guys before with Looney and, and stuff like that. We've watched them use like a young Jordan Bell. But that obviously was with, you know, being complimented and supplemented by superstars aside from Steph. So I don't know, you know, how long it'll be until they've got kind of a full deck of guys with Draymond. Who knows how long it'll take Clay to get back. It, it won't be this season. But, you know, I, I don't know how long-term long-term is for him. You hope that, like you said, he can learn enough of the basics and in, in the offense and just what, what it is to play off Steph um, to maybe really be a, a huge contributor for them next year where you're not relying on him quite as much. But, I, you know, I've been impressed from some of his moments for sure. Um, Anthony Edwards is, is really fascinating with, with the Timberwolves because um, when you talk about guys going number one, you normally expect that they're going to be out there and starting a lot of times and um, – or, you know, on a team that is not that good, be starting and to not see that with him, uh, but to see him getting minutes and some impactful minutes and pretty fearless as far as what he's doing out there on the court and going right at people has been cool. Um, looking at the Bulls, who it's been hard to watch them, was watching them a little bit tonight against the Warriors and watching Pat Williams. And he like I didn't realize the guy could pass as well as he could. Um, I'm like you where I don't watch much college. I don't get much of a chance to watch college with what our jobs are, but just whipping the ball around and uh, going right at people um, defensively. Uh, it's just been, you know, he, he stands out already as like one of, he looks like one of the more skilled Bulls players already. Well, if he defends, he will stand out on the Bulls because their defense has been. <laughs> yes. Not standout-ish. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, LaMelo has had some, uh, LaMelo Ball's had some up and down shooting games. There's, he, you know, they actually uh, beat the uh, the Nets tonight. Um, you know, it's so early, but um, uh, there was a good win for them. They had a, a narrow loss at Oklahoma City, and then the Hornets did, and then beat the Nets tonight. Um, he's had some games where he can't hit the broadside of a barn, which I think will happen because his shot is inconsistent. He, he shot other games, including tonight. He shot the ball okay. He continues to. He had another highlight. Uh, full court throw ahead pass uh, tonight. Um, but he's also not starting, you know, um, uh, it's hard to know, like, you know, last year I felt like, um, you know, uh, you know, Zion because of injuries, wasn't really able to make that big of an impact. Ja was able to make a huge impact. I don't know if we'll see anybody make a huge impact on winning and losing um, this year, but um, Kirk, what about 
anything from the rookies that you've seen so far that have interested you? Uh, you know, one deep cut, and then I'll get to the, the, the to the super high level guys. But like Precious in Miami, just looks like the next Miami guy. Uh, I feel like he's gonna he's mm. gonna he's gonna just be developed into like the perfect uh, player for their system, and somehow in some yeah, way, yeah, Bam Adebayo has kind of taken him under his wing a little bit. I don't know, you know, Bam's skill set is pretty unique. I don't know if he can pass any of that on, but you know, they drafted him to kind of be like. Uh, his sort of alternate option um you know he a can, big he, man he, big man is versatile yeah he can dunk he can run to the rim uh looks like he can defend multiple positions in terms of like the super high lottery guys you know i feel bad for james wiseman in a way because what we were just talking about golden state expects to win golden state expects to compete for championships and that really interrupts this guy's like nice hearty sort of development window uh, he's expected to be a rotation player on a playoff team and doesn't get that sort of time to naturally grow into his his game. There's a lot of pressure on the young man right away, and it shows, and he's not ready for it, and I'm not mad at him. Uh, again, he's one of these guys because of the coronavirus who hasn't played in well over a year, <clears throat> and now he's thrust into Steph Curry's like playoff chase, and it, it's just a lot to ask. Uh, and, and then LaMelo, who to me is the guy who, you know, the stats are one thing, but he passes the eye test right away, Brian. Like he's, you can't teach those passing instincts. You've seen a hundred rookies come into the league at the point guard position. Some of them can pass. Some of them can't. This guy has really good vision and delivers passes on time and to the right place. Uh, he just has a great feel for the game. So if there's any rookie that's sort of standing out, and this is not based on stats, uh, but I watched that Brooklyn game, um, he belongs. And Charlotte should feel really good about LaMelo Ball uh, a few games into the season, in my opinion. For the ones who get it done, Ranger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. A couple of teams I want to talk about. Um, first, the Nets. So the Nets lost uh, tonight to uh, Charlotte. Um, and then they have a back-to-back against the uh, Grizzlies tomorrow. We'll see who plays in that game. So by the time you hear this podcast, for all I know, they may be two and two. <laughs> but you can't, can't go... Um, uh, and Spencer Dinwiddie uh, hurt his knee tonight, and he's going to be—he's you know, not probably not going to play tomorrow. And who knows about Durant and Kyrie? But um, uh, you can't go away from the first week of the NBA and not comment on the Knicks or on the Nets. Uh, uh, Kirk, I mean, uh, just their chemistry out of the gate has been just really impressive, and uh, they look like a really potent team. 
Yeah, and uh, I wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, such a short turnaround. Uh, obviously, Kevin Durant has not played in over 500 days coming into the season, coming off an Achilles. We have a first-time head coach in Steve Nash, uh, a somewhat obscure assistant coach named Mike D'Antoni. <laughs> uh, and then we have Kyrie Irving and, and one of these deep rosters. Um, but I didn't know what to expect. But they couldn't have asked for a better first two games. They come out. And KD vanquishes the boogeyman in Golden State with an incredible opening night performance. Both Kyrie and Kevin looked perfect. Then they move on to Christmas Day, and Kyrie gets his turn, and they vanquish the boogeyman from Boston. And now, okay, now they're 2-0. They have incredible offensive efficiency. And you just find yourself like, well, why didn't I think about this? It's Kevin Durant, Mike D'Antoni, Steve Nash, and Kyrie Irving. I should have, I should have expected this. You know, that's what I was thinking. Um, you know, and but it's a long season. And and yeah, if NBA seasons were sprints, they'd be Usain Bolt right now. But the, they're not sprints. They're they're marathons. And they, these things have a way of changing many times. That said, Brian. Early season takeaways, you couldn't be more thrilled if you're rooting for the Brooklyn Nets. They look great on offense and on defense. And this is one of the deepest teams in the NBA, period. You have guys like Landry Shamit, Karis LeVert, and Jared Allen coming off the bench. These are starters on almost any team in the league. So it looks really good. Yes, it's early, but it looks really, really good in Brooklyn right now. Yeah, and I mean, even like... um... Torian Prince, uh, he, now <laughs> Torian Prince and Landry Shamit tonight uh, combined to go 0 of 14 from the field Oof. and 0 of 13 from three point range. So tonight's a bad night to talk about it. But um, you know, uh, when you look at them, Chris, um, this kind of is the way that I th- and I, I mean I don't mean style of play. It's kind of the way that I thought the Clippers were going to play last year. Now. Obviously, coming out of the gate, the Clippers didn't have Paul George, so it wasn't like I was expecting that in November. But the Clippers were a team that added two star players and had a fully formed team around them. They didn't have to do what the Lakers did, where they broke down and then had to rebuild. Um, they were really set up to to be very effective. And, you know, that's the kind of the way the Nets were set up, which is they added these two guys with cap space, but because they had stayed drafted very well in the previous years and done a couple of other good deals, they had a bunch of other players on their roster so that you would have this depth. Um, they are coming out of the gate the way that I expected the Clippers to, who knows whether they can last and the health is a huge part of it, you know, especially with Kyrie Irving, who has, who has injuries, but um, first time head coach, granted, he's got a great staff, but he's still a first time head coach. And um, they, if I was in the league right now, they would scare me a little bit because when you see Durant and Kyrie playing that way and you start thinking about dealing with them over the course of a playoff series, that'll give you a nightmare. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. You bring up the Clippers because I think <laughs> both teams kind of have one thing that, would make me feel way better about the other if they had it. Um, you know, I, I think last year, I can't remember how, who I picked to win the whole thing, but um, if I didn't pick the Clippers to win the whole thing, I think I picked them to come out of the West. And then obviously the pandemic hit and everything too. So I think everything kind of shifted, but um, you know, the Clippers, even now 
I think a lot of us would feel a lot better about them if they had kind of a, a really, really good point guard. You know, obviously they have Lou Williams uh, who can come in and play with, with their guys and, you know, in their clutch lineups and stuff like that. And you also have uh, Kawhi and you've got Paul George. So you guys got ball handling. You've got ball handling, but not like a, a, a tried and true point guard who helps the ball flow. Whereas Kawhi and Paul George like to do a lot of their stuff one-on-one. Um, the Nets have that in Kyrie, and obviously Durant handles the ball a lot. He's comfortable with it. But the thing that you have, I think, with the Clippers that you don't have as much of, it's going to be my biggest question about the Nets going forward. You haven't seen it so far in the first three games, but, like, the the defense, I don't really trust the Nets' defense a whole lot. And like I said, there hasn't been that much to look at so far and say this is what I'm concerned about, um, you know, any particular thing. But I, I just – I'm really interested to see DeAndre Jordan through the end of the year. You know, we've, we've seen and heard about Jared Allen kind of being undersized for the position that he plays. Um, we've seen Durant kind of be in that defensive player of the year conversation before, but we've also, you know, we've had Kyrie kind of be the defender that he is. Sometimes he plays a little bit above his head from what we're expecting defensively, but I, I don't have any questions about this team on offense. Like, you know, at this point, one of the best offenses I've ever seen. Right. You know, at this point, you could potentially try and add James Harden, but I, I almost would be kind of disappointed if they did that because it, there's so much offense already. And I think to Kirk's point, you've got so many role guys and guys that are part of your second unit that you can play with your your first string guys that you've got more than enough offense. And and frankly, I, I won't go as far as to say you have more than enough elite offensive players, but you've got enough really good offensive players to where you could probably win a title with this team. My question's about their defensive end. And like I said, I don't think it's too early to have really seen anything definitive where I'm like afraid of it, but the roster, that's where I have the questions about this roster and whether or not, you know, aside from the injuries that you mentioned before, you've got two guys that have had their fair share of injuries at this point throughout their career, serious ones. But um, that's my only thing with them is like defensively. They got more than enough shooting to have Joe Harris and Landry Shamet and Prince and, and all these other guys, and not to even mention LaVert or Dinwiddie. I mean, there's just so much offense, and it it almost feels like just maybe one player too top-heavy on the offensive side, and I think they could really benefit at some point, depending on how Jordan pans out and how he continues to age, maybe one more big to where I'd be more comfortable with what they have, one more solid big on that team, uh, and, and maybe one more perimeter defender. Yeah, I mean that's th- their real question is defense. We don't have enough. Uh, we don't have enough information yet to to know. Um, but if they just defend, I think uh, Zach Lowe was saying if they just are a top ten or twelve defensive team. Yeah. Um, you know they should be a sixty win pace team depending on health. Now, that's a big assumption. Ten top ten or twelve with their defensive personnel. Um, that's not um, that's not something that we should assume. Uh, they may be 24th on defense. And in that case, you're going to have a team that can get beat by the Hornets on a Sunday and, you know, <laughs> kick every kick Boston's <laughs> behind on a Tuesday. Um, and so it's, it's still early. But, I mean, there's – the other thing is, like, one of my biggest concerns about them is their chemistry and That's not right. so much about, like – like, I know that Durant and Kyrie are, you know, they're friendly – friends i guess um but um they are a little bit uh you know they 
sort of go in and out of things occasionally. A little bit volatile. A little bit volatile. And uh, but but not only are they looking good, but the whole team looks good. And and you know their offensive system is really smart and it works. So I I mean I I think that we're going to be talking a lot about the Nets. Uh, this year. Um, well, let, me, let me jump in. I know you want to move on from the Nets, but I, I can't say the defense is the biggest concern. I think winning is the best deodorant. I think the two big concerns there, you hit on one, Brian, is is the chemistry. And I'm not going to add anything more to what you said. You said it perfectly. But the other thing is health. Uh, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant aren't exactly Cal Ripken. Uh, you know, <laughs> and I love both of them. They're two of my favorite players and two of my most terrifying players to game plan against. They're, they're, they're just insane. Uh, but man, yeah, both of those guys could miss a chunk of time, uh, a season at a time. We've seen it before. So I would say that's a big thing. With yeah. This group. You know, uh, it's it, on one hand, it's been remarkable to watch Durant come back from an Achilles tear and look this good. On the other hand, he had 500 some odd days, which is, you know, Dwight Powell tore his Achilles in January and he's back now. I mean, Durant literally had twice the amount of time to recover as Dwight Powell did. And Dwight Powell's already playing for the Mavericks. Um, And so, you know, but it is it is an injury that most players who've had it haven't come back from. But there are people out there who will tell you that for somebody who is 6'11", that the Jones fracture which is the, uh, mm-hmm. the the broken foot that he had. He actually broke it twice or had to have two surgeries back when he was with the Thunder. But the Jones fracture is just as, well, it's not the Achilles, don't get me wrong, but it's as, as, as severe, almost as severe of an injury as you can come back from. And he came back from that amazingly. I mean, he's, he's knock on wood had no lingering impacts from that. And, and again, I know the Achilles tendon is different, but he has shown the ability to recover from injuries in the past. But then again, this is a guy who has had a Jones fracture and an Achilles. Um, and then Kyrie has just shown a propensity. Kyrie just seems like uh, he takes shots and blows that for other players, it bounces off. And for him, it just causes injury. It's just happened since he was a rookie. It happened since he was in Duke. It's just, it's just the, um, it's just the nature of it. So, Fragile but impressive. Uh, I think that maybe that that's should be good. their new. Yeah, that should be their new, uh, new <laughs> season ticket sale. Yeah, fragile <laughs> but impressive. Impressive but fragile. One team I do really want to talk about real quickly before we go, just because I don't know what we'll talk about them again. We did our season preview two weeks ago, and that we didn't make it to them. The Cavaliers of Cleveland are three and zero. Um. And it hasn't been the most challenging schedule. They played. Uh, Charlotte and Detroit, they won against Detroit in double overtime. Tonight they beat Philly. They pounded Philly by 25 or 30. Uh, Embiid did not play. It was second night of the back-to-backs for both teams. Um, but two players I want to talk about on Cleveland's team who I think is are worth the way that they're playing, I think it's worth keeping an eye on. One is Colin Sexton, who has been a player who has been a bit polarizing if you're a Cavs fan for the last few years, because he is a ball dominant guard. And I mean, dominant. Um, he, his first three games, he's gone nine of 16, then three of four on three against Charlotte. Um, in Saturday night in Detroit, he went 15 of 23, uh, two of three from three point range. He's, he's been a, a good three point shooter since he was sort of a second half of his rookie year. And then tonight against the Sixers, he goes um, 8 of 15 for 22 points. He's having 
a one of two on threes. He's having an incredibly efficient start to the season. The second guy is Andre Drummond, who, um, as you may remember, was basically traded away for free last February. The Cavs, um, in addition to, um, you know, just trading away salary ballast, I think uh, Brandon Knight was most of it. They basically gave a protected second round pick or something like that. Um, and uh, basically they had nothing else for Drummond. Well, Drummond is in the, the last year of his contract. And I really, you know, he's sort of, a, you know, he's in between in this day and age about what, where his value is. He's a guy who's always put up good numbers, but hasn't always positively impacted winning. Well, I've watched him play some of these first three games. And not only is he put up good numbers, which is typical, he is playing tremendous defense. Uh, you know, stealing the ball, blocking shots. He's been a hub for them on offense. He's thrown a couple of passes uh, in these first few games that are just, like, awesome. And, I mean, look, we have blinking red light contract year <laughs> uh, player here. Uh, but I'm not – and the, the reason I'm bringing up Andre Drummond is that, you know, I'm not – I don't know where the Cavs are going to be in three months – when the trade deadline comes. But uh, if Andre Drummond is going to play like this, Andre Drummond is going to be a factor somewhere for somebody. And um, if for nothing else, I just want to bring up the Cavs are 3-0, a team that I did not think, I think their over-under was 22. And I wasn't sure about that. And I kind of was leaning towards under. Um, but if Sexton and Drummond are going to play this way, uh, they're going to inflict some losses on some people. I don't think they're a playoff team, but um, it you know there's there's you know the Pacers are off to a good start. There's, you know the Spurs are two and one. They've had a couple of good wins, but Cleveland, especially Sexton and Drummond, have caught my attention early on. Uh, Kirk, I remember watching the double overtime thriller that we'll always remember. <laughs> <laughs> the in, Detroit, night, in Detroit, deep in league pass, uh, deep in league pass. The, the few days after Christmas, yeah, in Detroit, when Andre clearly wanted to win that game, he has a lot. Uh, it was his first time, first time back, first to Detroit time back since. there. But yeah, the play of the game, in my opinion, was him getting isolated against Derrick Rose, one-time MVP Derrick Rose, and somehow poking the ball away from him. Back-to-back -back possessions. <laughs> like he's like he's Kawhi Leonard, and it was a remarkable moment. But you could just tell the fire on the guy's face. Uh, and, yeah, they're 3-0. and They have one of the best exciting young backcourts in the league. I'm a big Isaac Okoro fan. Um, I, I'm not sitting here saying the Cavs are going to the – the Eastern Conference Finals by any means, Brian, but they got to be extremely excited about 3-0 and uh, and, and this start that they've just had. Uh, and, and then to your point, expiring contract, one of the best rebounders on the planet, not afraid of big moments. Andre Drummond uh, could be a big trade piece for this team to, to continue to build uh, that war chest of young assets if they decide uh, at the deadline that they want to be movers and shakers they got a really nice piece here uh and and i think he's motivated as you pointed out to get that next big deal too so yeah i think everything is pretty but i have also have to, 
say that the Orlando Magic are also three and or Markel Fultz put up a career high of twenty six points uh, today too. So if we're if we're in deep cut territory, I got to throw out the Magic. But going back to Andre Drummond, uh, really great potential trade deadline piece. Um, really g- great vehicle for the Cavs to um, build their assets even further out than Sexton, Garland, Okoro, et cetera. They already have a nice young core going. Yeah, and Washington, by the way, 0-3. Beal mm. putting up big games. Keep an eye on that sucker, too. Um, yeah, Chris, um, in a league where the center position is so looked at differently by different teams, um, Drummond literally had no value in February, right? And he's and he's, you know, he's helping the Cavs win games in December. Yeah, no, that was fascinating. Like like Kirk said, like you brought up, um, not even just that he stripped Rose once, but Rose. You look back at that sequence, and Rose seemed really frustrated. Rose had like a really rough stretch of that game. He played and terrible. so. Yeah, it was like he kind of wanted to atone for some of the mistakes he'd made, so he went right back at him the next play and lost the ball again. And what what really stands out to me, you know, because Cleveland is such a young team, um, you know, whereas the Pistons, you know, not a good team, but they've got Blake Griffin, they've got Rose, they've got some veteran guys on that team for sure. Um, the Cavs, you, you know, even looking at the box score, and I remember this just from watching the game last night, the Cavs are down by eight points in regulation with like three minutes left in, in regulation. And then they were down by eight again in the overtime with three minutes left and they come back and win. They come back to force overtime and then they come back to win in, in the second overtime. So, you know, it was really encouraging to see Drummond do that. Um, and, you know, seeming to just really want it that badly. Well, he said after the game that um, he, after playing with Rose and practicing against him, he knows all of his moves. And so he knows exactly what he was going to do <laughs> when he got ISO done a big man. So, um, Maybe he just had the playbook, but even still, it was. I love that, and and then you know, Sexton. I, and I wrote about Sexton at one point. I remember when I was at um, a couple years ago, uh, five thirty-eight, probably a year and a half ago. Um, Sexton just stood out because of how bad his his numbers were, and in particular, I'm sure Kirk is aware of this too. Like his advanced numbers were just brutal, um, and so anytime you know our system at five thirty-eight or anything else kind of is, you know, red blinking light of someone playing that horribly. I think Kevin Knox is the other guy that's really, really just struggled from an analytics, you know, advanced number standpoint. And obviously these are young guys, but with Sexton, it was so interesting to look at because Sexton's Sexton's shooting numbers were so decent. And then, like you said, since the second half of that rookie year, he's been really, really good from deep. Um, He gets to the line a decent amount. You know, he's gotten really good with the mid-range. He's kind of cut the mid-range out of his game a, a decent amount. Um, and so to just kind of see him taking over in moments, it, it, it's just a really fun team. And it's it's so interesting that, you know, the, the Cavs, I remember the same kind of ridicule that the Pistons were getting this offseason for all the centers they had on that team. We were having that <laughs> conversation about the Cavs not too long ago. I know. And, I know. and they're making this work. And like you said, do we expect much from them? Probably not. But I, I don't know. The same way we did with the Suns at the beginning of last season, where it's like, who knows how long this will last? Let's just enjoy it. And who knows? You know, the Suns had a great end of the season. And maybe we'll be talking about the Cavs, you know, toward the end of the season for whatever reason, too. All right. Well, before we go, I just want you to know we gave the uh, the Clippers a Christmas present by not talking about 
um, because I don't even know what to say about that. I'm, I'm uh, putting it over there and I'll leave it over there for now, but uh, <laughs> uh, it was 50 points at half. I'm just going to leave it there. Uh, shout out to the low post. Um, uh, I know we mentioned Zach earlier in this podcast, but um, definitely uh, in the new year, if you don't, you already listened to him if you listen to this podcast. If you're this late in this podcast, you know, but download and subscribe it to wherever you get your podcast or where you're listening to this podcast right now. Thank you to Kurt Goldsberry. Thank you to Chris Herring for joining me on the Hoop Collective. Thanks for hanging in there on this dead week between Christmas and New Year's. We appreciate your listenership. And um, the NBA season's in full swing, and we are as well. And we'll be talking to you uh, soon. Everyone have a great week. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.